I said record after I started recording. That's embarrassing. Awkward. <laughs> Welcome to Hey Siri, a podcast about psychology, relationships, and most importantly, piping hot tea. Sit down, take a sip, and remember to subscribe as resident pop culture expert Sochi and struggling PhD student Siri take you through the what, why, and how of relationship research and what that means for your non-scientifically researched relationships. All of this research is coming out all the time, but academic literature can be intimidating and difficult to connect to real life. So let us do it for you. Siri will tell us all about what research is taking the psychology world by a storm. On today's episode, she will tell us all about social media and its effect on relationships. Is it good? Is it bad? It's probably bad. <laughs> After hearing the research for and against the metaverse, Zochi will guide Siri through the intense and amazing world of Sacred Heart Hospital and examine the relationship between Carla Espinoza and Christopher Turk. I have to say that I am not as struggling a PhD student as I normally am because yesterday I submitted my final draft of my master's thesis. Yay! (laughs) Congratulations! Thank you. What does that mean for your in terms of your PhD. So now that I've submitted that, when we come back in spring, I will have my defense. And if I'm successful, if I pass, then I will have, I will have completed the first step, which is the master's, or it's also called the qualifying thesis. And then you get knighted. Oh, the knighting comes afterwards. Yeah. You know how in England they have sir and dame? We have doctor. <laughs> I think they have do- Maybe they don't have doctors in <laughs> So, yeah. So that's it's just a little bit of good news. Um, I'm still struggling, though. Don't worry. We won't have to change the intro. It's all the struggle bus. Okay, so we're going to start with this article um, that I was really excited about. Should we tell them that we've already recorded this before? Oh, well, okay. Well, now they know. (laughs) So thanks for that. It's because of (laughs) Sochi. It's because of me and because of my microphone. But you know what? I need to use a microphone because when I don't, uh, everyone can hear everything that's going on around me. And... Even with the microphone, it kind of comes through a little bit. So we should be all love the microphone. We love the microphone. Even when sometimes it destroys an entire episode. Just eats it all up. I love the microphone. (laughs) I'm going to take my mic. Okay, so here's the the big deal, guys. Um, Zochi and I are going to be recording in person for the next few weeks. And I'm going to take my microphone. And Zochi's going to have her microphone. And we're both going to have microphones. There's going to be two microphones. There's going to be one microphone per person. And it's going to sound... Like, we are real big kid professionals. It's going to sound so crystal clear. I might have us both uh, relegate ourselves to separate closets to be that serious about it, even though we're in the same house. It's going to, I mean, it's going to, like, you're not, like, people are going to listen to this and, like, lose their minds. Because we're so crisp. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah. So I found this really, really good paper that I really, really liked. And it was in a journal that's 
had a really, really cool name. So the paper is called, Are Online Behaviors Damaging Our In-Person Connections? Passive versus Active Social Media Use on Romantic Relationships. It's by Selena Kiraz and Kristen Mickelson. And it was published in the Journal of Psychosocial Research on Cyberspace this year in 2021. C-Y-B-E-R-Space. <laughs> oh, seriously. <laughs> and my new goal is to publish in that journal because it has a really cool name. <laughs> Actually, we probably should publish because I have a paper that I'm working on that would work. Yeah, that'd be cool. One day we're going to do one of these on one of my papers. <laughs> so the authors start with the statistic that was really surprising to me. And I do want to share because I think it's it's just like, you know, you, you think that a lot of people are on social media, but then you hear this. So according to Statista, in 2019, 79% of Americans 12 years and older report having social media profiles. That's like 80%. That's too many. 80% of people <laughs> 12 and up. That is definitely way too many. Yeah. And so... You know, they may not be, as you mentioned before, like they may not be having like actively using those often, but they did set them up and they have those profiles, which and a lot of people. And they set them up, not their parents, right? That's what we're assuming. Some of them may, they, maybe their parents set them up for them. But like if you're 12, I doubt that your parents are like posting, you know, like, you know, when parents post photos of babies and stuff but at 12 i think you're using your social media right and this is active social media profiles specifically yes these are not social media profiles that have been i'm assuming yeah i'm assuming oh, oh because because it's their reporting of whether or not they do have them so right yeah. so basically most people are on social media to some extent in the US. And honestly, I, I would think that most young adults in particular uh, do use it on a daily basis, just from the people that I know <laughs> and myself. So there's been a lot of research on how social media affects people. It's had some contradictory findings. So on the one hand, some studies have found that social media can have a negative effect on well-being. Other findings suggest that it can increase perceptions of social support. So as with all things, it seems like there are good and bad aspects. But one possible reason for the inconsistency is the different impact of passive versus active social media use. So active social media use is like posting, commenting, liking, like interacting with others on social media platforms. Passive users are the people that just kind of like scroll and scroll and scroll. And I'm outing myself here because I'm definitely more of a passive user. Although I do like things. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But like passive use can be detrimental because you're not really engaging with other people. It's like you're on the outside looking in because you're seeing other people and you're seeing what they're doing, but you're just watching them and you're not having meaningful interactions. And it can, it can make you feel socially isolated despite the fact that you're on these social platforms. So instead of maintaining social bonds, 
a lot of these passive users are just engaging in social comparison. And this is especially not good when it comes to social media because people are curating these visions of their lives that are meant to make them look good. Not just physically, but they're meant to make them look like they have these great lives and you know, they can use editing and they can, you know, when you see someone in person, yeah, they can dress really well and they can have their makeup all done, but like you can see them from all angles and it's like a real life version of them. So you may engage in social comparison, but this is like kind of a different level. Yeah. And you know, social media is definitely 100% meant to be even the best, most pretty version of your life. Mm -hmm. And everyone else is doing the same thing and putting up only the most pretty parts of their lives and making them even prettier. And I've seen editing videos uh, where they edit photos, they edit, like, boomerangs. Like, you can edit videos now pretty easily, like, on your phone. Yeah. (laughs) It's getting kind of crazy. Like, nothing is actually real on social media. It's like, um... It's like the new version of like back before they had social media and people just sent Christmas cards that made them look really, really good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. With the long letters of everyone's accomplishments. Yeah, everyone's doing great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but now it's every day. Um so so yeah, so social media can have different effects based on whether you're using it passively or actively. And then also just, you know, it may have some negative effects even actively, but you know, everything, pretty much everything does have negative effects. <laughs> just so, you know, sometimes. That's dark. That's <laughs> I know, really I just dark. realized it sounded really depressing. Everything with moderation. Yes, everything in moderation. But yeah, so like, the thing is that to to this to date, we've looked at the impact of social media use on individuals but we haven't necessarily looked at the impact as much on social relationships and especially romantic relationships. But, you know, it seems like social media use from the existing research does have an impact on on couple relationships and couples often use it to communicate with each other, especially, you know, in the early phases of dating. And previous research has found links between social media use and online infidelity relationship insecurity and marriage quality, especially for younger people. But again, there have been positive findings that have linked social media use to relationship commitment and relationship satisfaction. So the current authors wanted to kind of explore the connection between social media use and romantic relationship functioning by bringing in the type of use, so active versus passive, which has only been previously examined when it comes to individual well-being. So they hypothesize that the frequency of social media use and passive social media use would be negatively associated with relationship health, and they assessed relationship health as a combination of relationship satisfaction and commitment. They also thought that the type of social media use, so active versus passive, would moderate the association between social media use frequency and relationship health. And just to kind of explain what that means, when you're talking about a moderator, it's basically a specific context that influences the association between two other variables. So in this case, 
They hypothesize that in the context of passive social media use, there will be a strong negative association between frequency of use and relationship health. But in the context of active social media use, it was theorized that this association between use frequency and relationship health would either disappear or actually would be positive. So passive social media use, you know, basically we're looking at the longer, or the, the more time you spend on social media, there's a link between that and relationship health. Uh, but it's that, that link is different and presents differently based on how you're using the social media. But we all know you should never, no matter how active you're being on social media, fub your partner (laughs) well that's i mean yeah that's a very true and i think this would be like i don't think they're thinking of this as like specifically using social media with your partner but just like two couple partners separately using social media so yeah and then finally based on previous findings they suspected that there might be gender differences in these associations but they weren't really sure what these differences might look like we call that like what when we when we think about like what associations look like generally refer to them as the direction of associations so they weren't sure what those would be so yeah, so you don't just put gender question mark <laughs> well that's what they had in the paper <laughs> it was a really good it was a good well-written paper yeah so so they wanted to look at gender but like so their sample consisted of participants who had been in a monogamous romantic relationship for at least three months and who were over 18 years old so both couple partners um had to be never mind i'm lying they they were not looking at couples they only looked at participants so they didn't need both couple partners wow i'm Wow. Never mind. I will definitely be mentioning this at your thesis defense. (laughs) Don't even talk to me right now. They got about half of their sample, which was a total of 432 people from a university. The other half through Amazon's Mechanical Turk, which is like a survey website that you can use. You pay people to take surveys. Uh, The sample had a mean age of 28, so fairly young. 62% 62% female, majority of participants were white, 64%. So they assessed relationship satisfaction with the relationship assessment scale, commitment with the commitment level subscale of the investment model scale, which we use in our lab. Yes, wow. we do. Participants also reported how many hours a day on average they used social media how often they used different social media platforms, and how often they engaged in passive versus active social media use. So they used an adaptive, an adapted scale assessing active use, and there's actually an existing scale that they used to measure passive use that's called the passive SNS scale. And I thought the results on most used social media platforms were crazy for a sample of 28 year olds because 44% of participants said they used Facebook most nope. often. Hard disagree. And I think they are lying. That's not true. <laughs> and then the second used was Instagram, 18%, 15% use Snapchat the most, 10% Twitter, 4% other, and 1% Tumblr. 
This all just seems really odd to me. Just, that is the most ridiculous set of numbers I've ever heard. It actually, you know what? It makes me wonder when they collected their data. Yeah, because everyone has TikTok now. It's not like, you know, 28-year-olds, they have TikTok. (laughs) I know. These are, 28 is not that old. It's a year older than my husband. I wouldn't consider him like... If you're in your 20s, you have TikTok. Yeah. I'm on. I'm definitely on TikTok most often. Or why isn't Reddit on there? Oh, yeah. I'm on Reddit all the time. Oh, I don't know if they considered Reddit. I, see, I'm curious about how they chose these platforms. That's what I'm curious about. Because I'm, I'm actually checking right now to see when they collected their sample. And it doesn't say. Oof. Interesting. Facebook? Facebook? I know. Okay, okay. Here's part of it. They gave them those four options. And then there was a write-in. Some platforms mentioned in the other option were Reddit, WhatsApp, YouTube, WeChat, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. Okay, not including YouTube or WeChat makes sense. This, okay. I, mm, this was published in 2021. The fact that no one mentioned TikTok makes me think that they collected this data. That's literally insane. Not in 2021. TikTok is literally changing the way that other social media platforms behave. I'm really curious about when they collected this data, and I may have to go back to find out, because, yeah. Oh, wait. First submission received on September 11th, 2019. Okay. So let's say they collected the data in 2018 to publish in 2019. Okay. When was TikTok's? When did TikTok start? It didn't get big big until, it didn't get big, big until end of 2019, early 2020. Yeah, so let's say they collected this data. I mean, they could even have collected Mm -hmm. in 2017. That makes sense. Wow. Snapchat. Wow, can't get enough of those reels? 15% of this pool? I do not remember the last time I was on Snapchat. (laughs) I don't want to have Snapchat. I'm an adult. I'm 23. I do not have a Snapchat. (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) Now that we're done, now that we're done ridiculing that participant. <laughs> 1% Tumblr? I'm not even done. Oh what are you God. doing on there? You're chatting with the only other person on Tumblr? <laughs> Finally, once they were done tallying up all of their Facebook users, they <laughs> measured participants' level of social comparison using the comparison orientation measure and self-esteem using the social self-esteem scale. And... They found, and this was interesting, but maybe not like surprising to me, that men and women didn't differ on their time spent using social media, levels of active and passive use, relationship satisfaction, relationship commitment, or self-esteem. They all had about the same, the men and women had about the same scores on all those, but women did report engaging in more social comparison than men. Which I think makes sense because... I feel like that's engineered on quite a few social media apps. Oh, well, also just, like, 
women are socialized to be really aware of how they look and how they're right. portraying themselves. Right. Like, you know, it, it's, I mean, even just like when, you know, when there's something happens and, you know, a woman is asked, well, what, what were you wearing? Like you have to constantly be thinking about stuff like that. So, yeah. It's- but... Stop inter- I'm trying to get through the results. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> they found, um, as expected, that time spent on social media was negatively related to relationship satisfaction and commitment. It's a bad, it's a no-no. When they tested men and women separately, they found that for men only, social media use was negatively related to satisfaction, uh, but not commitment. However, in their woman-only model, the associations between social media use and relationship satisfaction and commitment disappeared. Basically, when you look by gender, uh, men's social media use uh, is related to lower relationship satisfaction, but women's social media use is has no negative repercussions for the relationship. Oh, boy. (laughs) So women use away. (laughs) And also, I just want to say, like, I hope they don't listen to this. I have a problem with the way they did these statistical analyses, and I don't think it was the best way to do it. And I don't think the reporting was the best way to do it. Damn savage. Because they didn't report the fit statistics for the model. I'm, I, that's the only reason I could think of doing the model with both genders included and then both genders separated was to look at the fit of the model with everyone together. Basically, I just don't understand, yeah, why they reported the, the models with everyone together when their focus was on men and women. Hmm. Because, yeah, unless, but then also I'm curious because, yeah, I don't understand why they're presenting the full models and then the gender-specific models because the gender-specific models kind of nullify, I think, nullify their original models because they're showing significant results, which means that they're a better fit. Is that for people who are, like, skimming? I don't know. Yeah, I'm just confused. But anyway... I'll just tell you the results of all the models, even though you can just ignore the models that aren't split by gender, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) So among the sample as a whole, passive media, social media use wasn't related to relationship satisfaction, but was negatively associated with commitment. Uh, But again, the results differed when they separated men and women. Uh, So ignore (laughs) what I just (laughs) said for both men and women separately. Passive use wasn't related to satisfaction. For women only, there was an association with commitment. So um, for men, passive use has nothing to do with satisfaction, nothing to do with commitment. For women, passive use is negatively associated with commitment. Um, But again, remembering that for men, the more time they spent on social media, the lower their relationship satisfaction is. And that's whether or not they're passively or actively using it? That was without controlling for type of use. So it wasn't in the model. So we can't say that. 
So we would consider that maybe a confounding variable, but they did test that later. So active social media use among the whole sample was not significantly associated with satisfaction, but was negatively related to commitment. Disregard that because we're now going to go over the gender specific models. Among men only, there was a negative association with satisfaction and commitment. While among women, there was only a relation to commitment. So, basically, <laughs> passive social media use has no influence on men's satisfaction or commitment, but active social media use has a negative association with satisfaction and commitment among men. No. Which is interesting because we were thinking passive social media use would be the worst thing, right? None of it's safe for our men. And then for women, um, active social media use and passive social media use are detrimental to their commitment. So kind of interesting. Um, and then time spent on social media was only negatively associated with satisfaction when people had moderate and high levels of passive use and higher levels had stronger negative effects. But those effects disappeared with low levels of passive use. So it does look, this is where we're looking at the moderation. It does look like the negative relationship between time spent on social media and satisfaction is only in the case of moderate and high levels of passive use. But this was only true for women, not for men. So for men, regardless of the levels of passive use, there was no difference in their like because passive passive use wasn't related to their satisfaction or commitment. So basically for men, regardless of whether they're using it passively, more time on social media will lower will be associated with less relationship satisfaction. So the same was found for levels of active use. So for women, using social media more actively was associated with more relationship satisfaction when they used it a lot. Yeah, so there was, a, there was a negative relationship between time spent on social media and satisfaction, but that negative relationship decreased as their levels of active use increased. But again, this wasn't found for men. So for men, basically, it doesn't matter how they're using social media. If they spend more time on it, it's gonna be worse for their relationship. But for women, if they spend more time on social media that's active, then their relationship won't be harmed by it or won't be harmed as much. Nice. So basically, oh, but then active use didn't moderate the association between time spent on social media and relationship commitments. So that's safe. So, well, it doesn't moderate it, which means that like, regardless of whether you're using social media actively or passively, the more time you spend, the worse it's going to be for your commitment level for both men and women, because they, men and women both showed a negative association. None of it's safe. Between time spent on social No, wait, I take it back. There was no association between social media use and relationship satisfaction and commitment for women. That's safe for the gals. So 
women don't really have to worry about social media use and their level of commitment. Boys, um, get off but social media. But men really, really do have to worry. I feel like the conclusion of this study is just like men shouldn't use social media if they want to have a happy relationship. It's for your own good. <laughs> like, this is not, not good news for men out there. Like, basically, like, you know, there, there was using social media more often had negative effects for their commitment and relationship satisfaction. It didn't matter if they used it passively or actively. It's not going to help. Like, it's just bad. But for women, like, there was no association between time spent on social media use and their satisfaction and commitment. But when they did use social media use actively, it actually helped with their levels of, of satisfaction and commitment so yeah boys protect yourselves i guess men maybe men are like they're just not they're not using it right or i mean but it's this thing it doesn't matter if they're using it actively or passively may what is it about men using social media that is so did they ask how many men versus how many women have the app facetune (laughs) you think it's that that men don't know how to edit their photos. I think boys aren't quite <laughs> savvy fully at knowing how to edit themselves, knowing their angles. You know, I have a lot of male friends who I feel like when I see photos of themselves online, um, I, I, I just feel like they're not quite putting their best <laughs> foot forward. Oh. It's just like, you know, you know, you know, there's a few things that you can do that will up the quality of your Insta okay. feed. So men just need to, they need to be better about okay. presenting themselves on social media and maybe that will make them feel better. Maybe that'll help. Yeah, you know, don't be embarrassed. Really go for it. Put on that cute <laughs> outfit. Set up a little sheet Have a good as your background. Do you tussle up your hair a little bit? A little bit of, like, like just a little bit of, like, color in your cheeks. Yeah, you know, find your angle. Your you angle. got this, King. You want to show, show off your good side, too. Oh, yeah, it's all about the angles. Well, interesting. And then download Facetune, because honestly, who cares? Everyone edits everything. It doesn't matter. No that one cares. That is so true. So, yeah, that's what we found. Social media use not great for relationships not very very not good for men in relationships <laughs> well i would say that our pop culture connect kind of connects up pretty well with that but let's see <laughs> scrubs is a medical sitcom also sometimes regarded as a com drum i coined that i love it <laughs> it's my favorite designator It takes place in Sacred Heart Hospital. The series is mainly viewed through the perspective of John Dorian, or J.D., and his lovable, quirky fantasies. J.D. and his best friend, Turk, begin the series on their first day of their residencies, Turk in surgery, and J.D. in internal medicine. They meet Elliot Reed, another medical resident, and Carla, an experienced nurse who's been working at Sacred Heart for many years. We are also introduced to a host of zany characters like the chief of medicine, Dr. Kelso, the scary janitor, the abrasive Dr. Cox, and his ex-ex-wife, Jordan. I've really looked into this. They didn't ever give janitor a name. I didn't think they did. No. Yeah. It's janitor. 
which is an interesting choice and I feel like maybe wouldn't have been received well now because it's kind of relegating him it, it's kind of intimately tying him to his job and I think now we're getting away from that like you're more than your job you know what I mean yeah and he did point out a couple times that the reason that he won't tell them at this point what his name is is uh maybe because he is on the lamb but also maybe it's because he's a little jilted the f- at the fact that they never actually bothered to learn his name right yeah exactly like I don't know I went to get my nails done today and I knew her name you know yeah and then I went it was a big day for me I got my eyebrows done too <laughs> and like I knew her name and we talked about her sons and what she was doing <laughs> for the holidays like you 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 know but but I really do think that like a lot of people don't do that especially when you have people in supportive staff roles right you know and it's I don't know it's ridiculous to me because without custodians and custodial staff right hospitals would fail yeah because they need to be clean and they need to be ordered and they need to be tidy (laughs) but like for some reason people don't it's like definitely I think a lot of times people don't get to know the custodial staff whether it's because they have opposing schedules or um they just don't think of that and I know that it was supposed to be like you know a comment on that a bit because we do see a lot of uh you know acknowledgments of the difference in levels at a hospital especially with like Carla being a nurse whereas Elliot and JD and Turk and our other main characters are doctors and um I wish that there had been a bit more commentary surrounding that especially because the actor who plays him Neil Flynn is just absolutely wonderful and I feel like we could have gotten a few more storylines out of him you know, a lot of his lines were actually ad-libbed. Oh my god, I love that. A lot of times in the script, it would literally say, Neil ad-libs, rather than a janitor line. That makes me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's getting besides the point. Well, I'm, ge- I'm just going to say one more thing, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, and if any of our listeners are um, in the medical field, you can tell me if I'm wrong or right. But I feel like probably the nursing staff is more likely to know the custodial staff than the physicians are. I feel like that I could see that being true. Yeah. I wouldn't struggle with that if someone told me. Yeah. Just because they're both like not respected as much as they should be. Exactly. Maybe there's a bit of solidarity there. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I just know... Yeah, nurses are amazing, and they don't get the pay or the, yeah, mostly the pay, but also, yeah, the, not the respect they deserve, but, you know, not just that, but the acknowledgement, you know. Right, right, And right, custodial right. staff, too. Acknowledgement and pay for the incredibly important work that they do. There probably are, but they are, I wonder if they're very common. Nurses have unions, right? I think nurses do have unions, and I do want to, you know, respect the fact that nurses do have advanced degrees as well. So, yes, um, of course, you know, 
But yeah, but I think maybe custodial staff may have unions as well, but I'm not sure. Yeah. This is Generally a- you have unions for positions that are vulnerable and need to be, you know, need that aren't innately in a position of power, if you know what I mean. Like yeah, students. I would definitely say nurses and custodial staff fall into that. Yeah. Um, this is, yeah, pro-union. Anyway. <laughs> social commentary. This podcast <laughs> loves unions. <laughs> yes. The series premiered in October 2001, and the finale aired in March 2010. Good long run there. I feel like maybe, maybe it could have ended in 2007. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The series received a Peabody Award in 2006, and Zach Braff was nominated for the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series in 2005, and received three consecutive Golden Globe Awards for Best Actor, TV, uh, sorry, Television Series, Musical, or Comedy nominations from 2005 to 2007. So, nominations, I don't think he won any of them. It's an honor to be nominated. I think this series was so slept on. They received one award, basically, that entire time. Yeah. It was amazing. I, it was, like, I don't know, though. Um, was it well-watched? Because I feel like it's kind of quirk. Like, it may not appeal to everyone. You know it what I mean? It didn't have the best ratings. I will say that. But another thing I will say is that we're seeing a lot of shows getting, like, revivals and having, like, renaissance moments right now. The shows mm-hmm. that were quirkier, not as well-received as they are now, like, Community, like, mm, I guess not New Girl, because everyone really loved it, but everyone's watching that yeah. again. Uh, Glee, even though that was a cultural phenomenon, you know, I think people, it was like disco, where, like, all of a sudden people loved it, and then all of a sudden people hated it. But you know what? I'm a fan of both Glee and Disco, so find me. Oh, no, I didn't like Glee. I couldn't get on board. Does it get bad? Yes. Is the first season (laughs) TV gold? Also, yes. Can Ryan Murphy handle a full series from start to finish? No. He gets very bored (laughs) very quickly. Oh, my God. Because, I mean, like, look at those other shows. Popular... Great first season, fell apart in the second season, got canceled. Scream Queens, great first season, fell apart in the second season. American Horror Story is only so good for so long because it changes the storyline every season. So he gets he never gets fully bored with it. But even those seasons fall apart towards the end. I love you, Ryan Murphy. Please put me on Glee's uh, uh, revival, please. And put me in the reboot, Ryan Murphy. I can sing. During the seventh season of Scrubs, not Glee, NBC announced that it would not renew the show. Luckily, ABC announced that it had picked up the eighth season of the series, which began airing on January 6, 2009. Season 8's final episode, titled My Finale, was conceived and filmed as a series finale, but the show was eventually revived for a ninth season, which premiered on December 1, 2009. Awkward. See, you know, the reason I said it could have ended in the seventh season is because it kind of did. Yeah. And then they, like, by the grace of ABC, were like, oh, we can actually get a chance to, you know, finish it up for real. The final season. We know it's the final season. We can do it right. And then they were like, you know what would be fun? (laughs) Who's free for a spinoff series? (laughs) Hear me out. It's called Scrubs Med School. 
no. Do I have you? All right. Think if we took Sacred Heart, the hospital we've been getting to know and love the past eight or so years, what if we took that all away and made it a teaching hospital? <laughs> and we got a whole new cast. Because you know that cast that we've been getting to know and we really like? We get rid of all of them. And we have a new I cast. I like... I get so attached to characters, and I cannot just... You cannot just give me new characters. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I've got these really intense parasocial relationships with <laughs> all of the characters that I know and love. <laughs> you know how much I love Eliza Coop and Dave Franco? And even they could not help that last season. Yeah. On May 14th, 2010... ABC agreed with us and officially canceled the series. Um, so yeah, you know, so December 1st to May 14th, and then they were like, never mind. That's like 12 <laughs> episodes, 13. We're good. <laughs> we're good. We, 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 we're, yeah. Sad. For this podcast, we will be focusing on the relationship between Carla and Turk. Turk and Carla begin dating in the second episode of the series, and spoiler alert, they stay together for the whole rest of the series, too. They do. Who? Well, for the most part. How dare you. (laughs) Who is Carla Espinosa? Carla is a talented and experienced nurse who worked as head nurse of Sacred Heart's intensive care unit. She is tough, hardworking, and an incredibly protective and kind person who cares deeply about the people around her. She is from Chicago and is proudly Dominican and bilingual. She has two sisters and one brother, but seems closer with her brother than either of her sisters. We learn during the series that even though her brother learned English after high school, he never told Carla and only spoke to her in Spanish because it made him feel even closer to her. I also found a bunch of trivia that I forgot about because it's been a while since I've watched the series, and it just proves even more what an amazing character she is. So, Carla is left-handed. Carla's belly button is pierced. Carla used to smoke, but she quit with the help of hypnosis. Carla is a Democrat, but finds Rudy Giuliani sexy. Carla has nicknamed her vagina Miss Priscilla after her high school art teacher. Oh, God. (laughs) Carla is the godmother of Perry Cox and Jordan Sullivan's daughter, Jennifer Dillon Cox. Although she and Turk are married, she didn't take his last name because she wants to preserve her cultural heritage. She is one of the only people that Janitor fears, and he's very, very scared of her. She also loves giving and being asked for advice and has been known to offer her perspective and advice, even when it could be seen as inappropriate or not appreciated. Okay, I'm about to tell you a scene that I remember so clearly to this day from Scrubs that I'm now worried I may have hallucinated. Oh, no. Because it's so bizarre, but I feel like Scrubs is really bizarre. Most of the show feels like a hallucination. Tell me if this is a real scene. Carla is tweezing her nipple hairs, and she pulls out a really long one, and the janitor sees, and she swears him to silence, and because he's scared of her, he's like... I didn't see anything. I think that actually did happen. I'm gonna look it up. I I couldn't have just made that no, up. No, when you right? said that I was like, I Yeah. I see that. I buy that. 
Okay, hang on. Let me just really quick. <laughs> oh my god, the first. Okay, when you type Carla nipple hair janitor, the first thing that comes up is Sophie on Twitter. You ever think about the episode of Scrubs where Carla plucks a huge nipple hair and the janitor sees and is a huge asshole about it? There it is. But Carla convinces Twitter him he imagined it, and at the end, we're supposed to feel sympathy for the janitor. Okay, so I misremembered it a little bit, but it definitely happened. That's hilarious. And then she said, to be fair, I only think about it like once every couple months. <laughs> and now I will too. So thanks, Twitter. Yeah. Who <laughs> is Christopher Turk? Christopher, who goes by his last name Turk, is a surgeon at Sacred Heart. He begins as an intern, and we see his career grow over the series to him becoming chief of surgery. And in the ninth season, Scrubs Med School, we find out that he is currently teaching courses at Winston University. He is hardworking and extremely dedicated to his career, but is also very silly and playful and enjoys antics and hijinks. He is known to be a very easygoing person, but during the series we see that he is deeply affected by his interpersonal relationships, especially his relationship with Carla. He is also a devout Christian, and his faith is incredibly important to him. During a Christmas episode early on in the series, we see him struggle with how many horrible situations he's dealing with, especially during the most holy time of the year, and he begins to struggle with his faith. This struggle seems to be largely solved by what he perceived as a miracle sent by God to return his faith in the greater good when a pregnant teenager who had gone missing gives birth underneath the Christmas tree outside of the hospital and Turk delivers the baby. Turk also views himself as an upstanding man, and his confidence in his masculinity seems to heavily inform his self-esteem. When he began struggling with symptoms of diabetes, it took a therapist in the hospital to encourage him to seek a diagnosis and treatment, and reassure him that it would in no way make him weak, less of a man, or unable to fill his role as protector-provider. I would like to say that even though he has to deal with internalized toxic masculinity a few times in the series, like during his diabetes diagnosis or when he has to have a testicle removed due to testicle torsion, he deals with it in a very healthy way, in my opinion, and uses his confident and healthy masculinity to encourage good behavior and actions in others like JD, Dr. Cox, and Elliot, and refuses to partake in jock behavior, which as much as we see during the series is just sexist and elitist behavior, often exhibited by his mostly male co-workers. He is seen several times in the series approaching and admonishing his colleagues for issues ranging to inappropriate behavior towards female staff to being assertive and not aggressive in the workplace. Yeah, that that is so important. I'm really glad that they showed that. And because, honestly, I think a lot of times the hardest thing to do is to speak up when you see something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um and it's people you know and people you're familiar with and people you're friendly with and people you think are good people yeah and to be able to do that um it takes a huge amount of courage and a strong sense of right and wrong yeah and you know sometimes it takes putting himself in a vulnerable position which Mm -hmm. is brave and is a masculine trait i think and Mm -hmm. Um, like the time where JD does a, spend a he spends a week as a surgical intern or something where he swaps for an extra credit or something, and you know the surgical team is we're supposed to believe very like frat boy ish and have that kind of energy, and JD trying to fit in 
because he's always been like the outcast nerdy guy. He sort of like partakes in this by teasing Turk about taking ballet and liking to dance. And Turk has to like talk to him and be like, hey, that's something I really like and something that I use to, you know, make myself better at other things that I also like. And it feels bad that you would, you know, make it out to be something shameful. To make a bunch yeah. of guys who we don't really care about think you're cool. Right, exactly. We love Turk. Yeah. So how did they get together? Turk met Carla on his first day of his internship and was immediately drawn to her. She perceived him as someone who was only looking for something casual and initially brushed him off, but he continued to pursue her and they began dating. They are very happy together, even though the amount of quality time they are able to spend together is limited due to the stressful schedules they both have. We see them make attempts to spend time together at work, like how they eat meals together with their friends and chat between tasks. Carla also once covered a week of shifts for a surgical nurse, and we learn later it was to be closer to Turk. Though he originally isn't overjoyed at her working directly with him in surgery because he felt as though she was undermining his authority in the operating room, he later changes his mind and starts to view her as his lucky charm because he does so well in surgery while he's assist- while she's assisting him. Maybe because she's really good at her job in assisting him. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. the surgeries go well? <laughs> I also just think that's so cute. Yeah. Like they just work so well together. Oh, God, though. I don't know. Couples working together always... always Oh, well, we know how that goes. Yeah, we we do. And you can listen to several (laughs) podcasts about it. But it's just a week, so... (laughs) And they also don't get to see each other very often because their schedules are so wild. Like, they have, like, 12 to 16-hour shifts and, like... Yeah. And literally, they could be, like, on opposite days. Yep. They also institute a kissing schedule to meet up at certain points in the day because Carla began to feel jealous towards JD's new girlfriend and how romantic they were towards each other. This schedule didn't work for long, and when they both caught each other lying about having to miss their kiss times, they agreed they were secure in how romantic and loving their relationship is, and that it worked for them. Good for them. That part was so funny, though, because literally they're lying to each other on the phone about how they both have something work-related to do, and that's why they have to miss the time, and then they run into each other in the hallway. (laughs) oh my god Turk decides to propose to Carla in season 2 but his plans keep getting derailed by different obstacles the largest of which is Carla's mom calling to tell her her aunt had died unexpectedly Turk tells her that she needs to go be with her mom right now and helps her get ready for her flight before she gets into her cab to the airport he says there's one question he needs to ask before she goes and asks her to marry him She's taken off guard, and since her taxi is waiting for her, she asks him if he can if she can give him her answer when she gets back, and he agrees. However, when she returns, she's still unsure, and asks for more time. Turk is stressed by this, but tries to make himself busy with his work, and after Carla talks with Dr. Cox, her co-worker and old friend, she finds Turk and tells him that she wants to marry him. This is, like, just one of many reasons why a proposal should never be a surprise yep both people should be aware that it's coming like it could be a surprise like as in you don't know when it's happening but like you need to talk about getting married before someone proposes i'm a big i'm a big advocate 
for picking out an engagement ring together for many, many yeah. reasons. Yeah. That being one of them. <laughs> also, so it's not ugly. Yeah, so it's not like totally <laughs> against the style of, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And, you know, what if you're a gold person and they get you silver? There's a lot that can go wrong. You have to wear this ring a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although my engagement ring snapped in half. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't think that's <laughs> supposed to happen. Is that an omen? It was very thin because that's, it was, I like very, like, delicate jewelry. But uh, in this <laughs> case, it uh, worked against me. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, in season three, they began preparing their wedding, and we see Turk interact with Carlo's brother, Marco, and also find out that Marco hates Turk. We are told that Marco does not speak any English, and so most of their interactions are through Carlo translating, but it is clear that their relationship was instantly soured when Turk mistook Marco for a valet at Carla and Marco's mother's funeral and tossed his car keys to him. I would have just died on the spot immediately. That is a really, really, really rough I mistake to I make. would not, I wouldn't, I, that's it, like, nope. <laughs> Marco seems to think that Turk isn't as respectful to Carla as he should be, and is offended by the fact that Turk still hasn't learned Spanish, and in general thinks he's kind of an ass. Carla assures Marco- What is that saying? Like, there's no such, something about a first impression? Like, once you have a first impression of someone- like, all of your other impressions are going to follow that first impression. So it does not surprise me that uh, that Marco is not a Turk fan going <laughs> forward. Well. <laughs> Carla assures Marco that Turk has been learning a little Spanish, even though it's slow going. And Turk, for the most part, is friendly to Marco. But as soon as Marco lashes out at Turk, he's more than willing to partake in childish fighting. Which does not help the situation. <laughs> No. Turk later finds out that Marco has been lying and can speak English fluently and forces him to tell Carla by making inappropriate jokes about their sex life in front of him, for which Marco punches him in the face. Oh, that's so, like, uh, like I don't like that. How do you come back from that? Like it's, it's an icky feeling. That entire situation and relationship is so stressful to me. Yeah, it sounds stressful. I'm stressed, like, just listening. <laughs> and poor Carla, because, you know, she and her brother are so close and they love each other so much. Ugh. that's the thing like I, I guess I don't understand this because like I don't know I guess if your like sibling is like a bad judge of character but I just feel like it's really important to me that like that significant others get along with each other's family it seems like a really big thing because also your family I mean I don't know my family's a really good judge of character maybe other people's families maybe are not well, you know what's funny is that Carla's mom also hated Turk. Oh, okay, that's not a good sign. But Turk... That's like, the, he's the common denominator right there. <laughs> Turk's mom, whom he loves and is very close to, adores Carla, and Carla loves her. Well, that just means Carla's a good person. <laughs> I think Carla's great. <laughs> Who wouldn't love Carla? Yeah, seriously. So, Turk and, Car- and Marco never fully reconcile and enjoy each other's company, but they share a mutual respect for each other when Turk assures them that he understands that they need the extra sibling time without him and agrees that he'll make more of an effort with Marco. 
We never see Marco again until the wedding, I think. <laughs> and he was never seen again. <laughs> At the end of season... Because he was just a um, plot device. <laughs> yeah, well, we see a lot more of him than we ever see of her two sisters, so he should feel lucky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> At the end of season three, Turk and Carla get married, but due to a miscalculation, Turk gets stuck in a surgery he took on to get extra money and vacation time for he and Carla's honeymoon. And after going to the wrong church and having to spend extra time getting to the right one, he misses the ceremony. I would be upset, too. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, an expensive and pretty bad mistake. Carla is very upset when he first arrives, and Turk struggles to make up for being so late, but after she steps out and expresses her disappointment to Dr. Cox, he reassures her that even though her wedding day was a disaster, she and Turk are meant to be, and they have a lifetime of happiness ahead. Meanwhile, Turk brainstorms with JD to fix the other issues that had occurred, like some food going bad and the band getting sick and canceling. Carla returns inside, and she and Turk enjoy the reception. I feel like I wouldn't get married after all that because that feels like the universe telling you you're making a bad decision. That's the universe telling you. I think if a Don't few do this. musicians getting food poisoning makes you end your wedding because it's a sign from the universe, then that that itself is a sign that you shouldn't marry anyone because you're crazy. Just that <laughs> it's like groom misses the ceremony. Food is bad. Like literally spoiled. Band Some of the food gets sick and cancels. That's a lot. I feel like only one of those is really bad though, and it wasn't all of the food. It was just like some uh, shrimp appetizers or something. But like wedding food is so expensive. Oh, it was definitely an expensive mistake. But I feel like if one party going wrong means the end of your lifelong commitment, no, no, like it's kind of like ugh. I'm not saying don't stay together. I'm saying go to the courthouse and sign oh, a just piece just like of don't paper. have a wedding. You are not meant to have this wedding. Well, I mean, it's like, not like they throw it again. They basically just finish out the reception, dance a bit, and go home. That's fair. Like, I definitely would not be like, it's not okay, like, let's just reschedule. They did not like, have no. a whole other wedding. That did not happen. This was their wedding. Okay. That makes sense. Oh, and then they enjoy their reception. Okay, so the last part. Yes. So this is sense. this is the end of their wedding. He missed it, but the end. <laughs> so in season four, we see Turk and Carla adjusting to being married and living with JD as a roommate. But when they decide they need to be more adult, they ask JD to find his own place so they can live with just each other. After he moves out, they struggle with finding common interests and things to do together and realize that JD is the one they go to when their spouse isn't interested. After this realization, and JD being unable to find his own apartment, he moves back in, and they ask him how he manages to do all of these things for them. And he tells them that when you really care about something you're willing to do, you do whatever you want to make, you do whatever you can to make them happy. JD then asks them, you know what's funny? You guys couldn't go one week without needing Jay Dizzle around. What's up with that? And Carla tells Turk she thinks they're in trouble. I just so, so much disagree with this on so many levels. Everything about because... that paragraph is stupid. Yeah, and I think I think Esther Perel talks about this. She's like a really famous couples therapist um, about how we expect our partner to be everything. And, and especially now, for some, like, that's more... It, 
it's more of a modern thing. But it's like, your partner cannot and should not be everything to you. Like, they should not be your, you know, confidant and your all of your friends and your person for advice. And, like, you need different people with different perspectives. And you need a network of friends and a network of family. Because it's not healthy for your spouse to be everything for you. I totally agree with that. And also, I'd like to point out the specific, a few specific things that they were trying to get their spouse to do rather than just go and do it with JD. And for Turk, it was play dumb pranks and silly games. And for Carla, it was gossip about TV and work stuff. And I have to say, I love gossiping so much. I don't think that every single person in my life loves to gossip. Yeah. And I don't gossip with everyone. And I don't, you know, my friends love a lot of things that I don't love. And it doesn't mean that it's the end of our friendship because I won't do that with them. Like, you know, I have a lot of friends who love video games. I don't love video games. (laughs) And they'll go play video games with their video game friends. And then they'll come gossip to me about their video game friends. Yeah. And it's like, yes, your spouse is someone who you are very compatible with. But that's, that's not, that doesn't mean you need to be compatible in every way. It doesn't mean they need to fulfill every role in your life. It just means that you happen to be very compatible. And you should enjoy that. And also have other very close friends and, you know, family. So, I don't know. Not a fan of And I don't see what's wrong with a married couple having roommates. Yeah, that too. I don't see the A roommate or multiple roommates. I like having roommates because that means there's more people for home invaders to go through before they get to me. Safety in numbers. That is very practical. (laughs) That's why I always... You know, try to pick the bedroom in the back of the apartment. <laughs> Actually, I just stationed I just stationed my cat near the door. She'll she'll protect us. Oh, she'll fuck up anyone who comes. Yeah, in. I don't like this. I don't. I don't like that this was portrayed on TV because I just feel like a lot of people, I don't know, would think that maybe this is accurate and it's so yeah. dumb. But, you know, in any case, Carla and Turk spend a few episodes trying to resolve their relationship issues, and Carla is staying with Elliot while they do, but then finds out that Turk had reconnected with his ex-girlfriend on Facebook, and they've been talking quite a bit. So that's the active social media use that is not good for men's relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Seeking out your exes... Beginning that communication back up without telling your wife. Because let me just... And you know, hang on, let me just check really quick. Yes, for men, there was a negative association between active social media use and satisfaction and active social media use and commitment. And we are seeing a prime example of this. Yowza, Turk. Wow. And they're like talking on the phone. Yeah. Because at one point, JD comes in. 
and Turk is laughing on the phone. He's like, oh, who are you talking to? And he's like, oh, blah de blah And he's like, isn't that your ex-girlfriend? And Turk goes, yeah, we've been talking. And JD takes the phone away from him, and this is probably an overreaction, but he tries to, like, smash it on the floor. Oh. And we hear on the other side, like, oh, hey, JD. What? Oh, 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 my God. That's <laughs> uh, so, yikes. JD tells Turk that what he's doing is inappropriate, but Turk assures him that he's just been catching up with an old friend. Carla is jealous, but tries to be calm about the situation, even though she's frustrated by how often they talk, and the fact that his ex has her own ringtone in his phone, even though Carla does not. And as we mentioned the last time we recorded this podcast, sorry to bring that up again, but it wasn't the fact that someone else in his phone had a right. ringtone and she didn't because we know that JD has his own ringtone and Elliot has her own ringtone and it's just because they're toit and they're his like besties, yeah. his best friends. But like Carla is his wife. Well also just like I don't I don't think she even cares about not having her own ringtone. She cares about the fact that the ex has her own ringtone. Got extra thought and a specific and yeah. that like, this wasn't a relationship that she knew about. It was a relationship that he was being shady about, that he was hiding. And we know, you know, I think we mentioned this in a previous episode, but, like, when you are communicating with other people in private using social media, that is an indication that you don't want your partner to see what you're doing. Otherwise, why would you communicate in a private way? Other than just, like, you know... Like, why would you need, you know, on Snapchat, why would you need messages to disappear? Like, the mode of social media mm-hmm. use can be suspicious versus, you know, chatting using Facebook Messenger where it's like, oh, I don't care. These these messages can stay. Like, I didn't say anything bad that I wouldn't want anyone mm-hmm. else to see. As I always say, if you have to do something in secret, it's probably not great. Yeah, pretty much. Eventually, Carla can't handle her jealousy towards the attention Turk is spending on his ex, and she asks him to stop talking to her, to which Turk replies, anything for you, baby. Later, while Carla and JD are hanging out in their apartment, Turk comes out of his room and tells them both he had just explained the situation to his ex, and Carla asks how he'd done it so fast because he was only in there a few minutes. And he says, oh, it was easy. I just told her I was married. Oh my god. yeah whole other level to this because remember in modern family one of the first things that um phil's ex-girlfriend says to claire is oh my god phil has told me so much about you he posts about you constantly he's always bragging about how beautiful you are how great you are what a wonderful mother you are because hmm a spouse is such a big part of your life yeah it's half of your life hopefully It almost, you literally have to intentionally not mention them because of the ways they just come up naturally. Like your pets. (laughs) Especially when they just got married. They've only been married a few months. That is a pretty big life event that just happened in his life recently. And especially because that's choosing that wedding was definitely a story I would be telling that to everyone. (laughs) It was eventful. Carla is understandably furious that he had been talking to his ex without telling her that he has a wife, and leaves the apartment, saying he might not have to worry about being married much longer. Over the next few episodes, we see Carla and Turk meet regularly to discuss their relationship, and learn that Carla has decided to extend her stay at Elliot's place, even though Turk wants her to come home. 
Things get more complicated when JD insists that Carla comes out to a bar with him to get her into a better mood about Turk, and they get drunk and end up kissing goodnight after Carla thanks JD for being there for her. Right after the kiss, JD says, sorry, drunken accident, and they both giggle and say goodnight and go to their beds. The next morning, they both panic and have a discussion about whether or not the kiss was a friend kiss. And it's so funny, I've included it for you. But also, I would like to say, this kiss took place after, so during they were rolling on the floor. (laughs) That was how drunk they are. They had fallen down on the floor and they were sort of just wiggling around. And Carla was like, Sober, sobered up for a second where she was just like, hey, I just want you to say I've been in a really shitty place and I really appreciate you taking this time to like take me out. I know you're Turk's best friend, but like we're besties too and I really appreciate you being there for me. And then they have a little smoochy smooch and then they go to bed. Yeah, well, so the thing is like obviously this isn't great. It's not great. No. But on the other hand, it's not great. Carla and Turk, what Turk did are was separated. So, and they're separated because Turk was crossing boundaries with someone else. So, the non-relationship researcher in me is kind of like, "Well, like it's fair." <laughs> well, yeah. Well, anyway, so here's how JD and Carla parse this out. There's nothing like the rays of the morning sun kissing you awake and gently reminding you that you got drunk and kissed your best friend's wife. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So it really happened? Yeah, but it was nothing. Nothing. No, there wasn't even any tongue. No tongue. It was just a friend kiss. Were your lips hurt at all? No, I pursed them like this. I don't know, JT. I remember my one lip being on top of your upper lip and my other lip being somewhere in the middle of yours, which means your lips were apart, and I don't think that's a friend kiss. Yes, it is. It's a friend kiss, and we will never talk about this to anyone ever. What's going on? Nothing. JD and I kissed. Carla! You kissed like a friend kiss? Yes. No! Carla! You're killing me! This never leaves the room. Why did you close my window? Wait, okay, I just thought of this. Could we... Put in the audio from that scene if I will try I will try I was just wondering you did a very very good job though it's not necessary I will try my audio editing uh listeners know this already because they listen to the podcast um (laughs) but my audio editing is not fantastic but you do audio editing I, I don't do that. <laughs> so. I do edit the audio, I guess, technically. I'll do my best. If it doesn't happen, then I'll cut this whole part so that no one knows that I tried and I won't be embarrassed and ashamed that, that I failed. That seems like the only possible option. JD and Carla originally try not to tell Turk what happened, but Carla caves under her guilt and spills the beans. Turk is so upset with both of them, he refuses to talk to either. Both JD and Carla insist to Turk that it was barely more than a friend kiss, and even try blaming each other, by the way, for it, like, separately to him. (laughs) Uh, But Turk feels deeply betrayed and doesn't know how to deal with his feelings. I think that he knows that he just did something so shitty that he and Carla have separated, and JD was, he knows that JD, first of all, told him to stop before it even started. And second of all, JD was there when he found out that Turk hadn't told his ex that he was married, and JD looked really, really pissed off. And we know that he's not on Turk's side with this. 
Uh, so I think Turk knew that the entire time. And the reason that he's freezing up and stonewalling both of them, which we know is not healthy, is because he's so afraid that he's losing both of them, yeah. to, basically, to each other. He's like, now they're kissing. I'm out of the picture. But I I definitely, definitely agree with that. I think in addition to that, the fact that Turk might feel that JD is, um, like, you know, JD told him not to, but then JD did it himself. What do you, what's, there's a word for that, like, when someone is... Hypocrite. Yes, yes, the JD is being hypocritical, too. Right. Cut, and, cut that, please. you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's also interesting because... Uh, a few episodes after this is this whole situation is quote unquote resolved, but before it actually is resolved, we find out um, Turk is being unnecessarily physical with JD in an aggressive way, and it's like kind of like hurting JD. But um, Turk doesn't realize that he's doing that. Like when he like punches him on the arm to say goodbye or something, like he does it really hard. Mm-hmm. And JD has to, like, stop him for a minute and be like, I know we're not cool, and you may not know that we're not cool, but your body language and your, you know, actions towards me are telling me that we're not cool and you just don't know how to approach me about it, and we need to talk this out. Yeah. Yeah. So. Turk eventually agrees to go to couples therapy with with Carla, not with JD. But they run into another issue when Turk refuses to open up during their sessions, going as far as giving one-word answers only when directly prompted and scheduling work conflicts during their appointments. Really not good. Stonewalling is real. Yeah. After but also sabotaging. Impo- like, um, yeah. It's It seems like a type of, there's like, literally there's a term, relationship sabotage. And... A lot of that is after conflict, behaving in ways that you know will make things worse. Right. After realizing that being vulnerable is a necessary part of being in a relationship and that he's been in the way of he and Carla making progress, he begins attending and participating equally. In season five, Carla gets pregnant with her and Turk's first baby, Isabella, and after she gives birth, she struggles with postpartum depression. Although she tries to hide it from Turk, he realizes what's going on when he comes home from work to find Carla nursing Isabella and crying. He he suggests that she seeks treatment, but she insists that she's just feeling hormonal and emotional, and it's nothing to worry about. However, when Turk finds out she left the baby with their 11-year-old daughter, sorry, (laughs) he left the baby with their 11-year-old neighbor and was having a mild meltdown in the mall, he insists that she needs to seek help, and after a discussion with Dr. Cox's wife, Jordan, who shares with, he, with her that she had also suffered from postpartum depression, Turk brings her to the hospital and sets her up with appointments and therapists and specialists. We see that he attends most of these appointments with her, like, the lactation con- like her lactation consultation when Isabella is having difficulty latching, and is supportive to her and her needs. Turk encourages Carla to spend a year as a stay-at-home mother after her maternity leave ends, Though Carla wants to return to work, she agrees, feeling guilty that she wants to go to work rather than spend all day with her baby. After the chief of medicine takes Carla aside and tells her that if she ever wants to come back to work, the hospital will be happy to have her return, and Carla struggles with how to tell Turk she doesn't want to be a stay-at-home parent. 
She does finally tell him and reassures her, and he reassures her that he will support her in whatever she wants to do and will be happy for her if she comes back to work and they arrange childcare together. We, um, we won't go over this until next episode. Slight sneak peek, but (laughs) like, I, a lot of times pregnancy and childbirth obviously affects women more than men. But then also the perinatal period, which is basically like pregnancy to the first, to to baby's first birthday Mm -hmm. is much more intense for women in general than it is for men. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, the physical changes alone are so intense. I think a lot of that, though, is... um, just changes right changes to your life right and I think Carla's experiencing this significant life change that's causing her a lot of stress which is like my work is gone and I don't have this job and that's different and I really liked the job and that's Mm -hmm. not something that Turk has to deal with so that is like an extra thing, thing that she's dealing with that he's not alongside the hormones and stress and nursing and yeah all this other stuff. And I can see that Poor uncertainty um, because women women's careers aren't uh, as they're not seen as as expected as men's after child after having a, a kid even just that uncertainty even if you do decide to keep your job or you do decide you leave your job that uncertainty can be stressful and we know especially you know carla's career as a nurse is very important to her Mm -hmm. and she considers it you know it's grown to be a part of who she is as a person but as we all know nurses are not paid very well so if there had to be a choice between either she and Turk going back to work between the salary of a surgeon and a nurse, it would be much harder to depend on her salary alone than his salary alone. Yeah. And we know that there, that Turk is still in debt from med school at this point. So that is another factor that they have to consider. Mm -hmm. In season six, Turk and Carla are doing well, but Carla begins to worry that she's losing touch with her cultural roots and that her daughter won't have the same ties to being Dominican that she does, and expresses to Turk that she would appreciate it if he partook in her culture more. We soon find out that Turk had learned Spanish in secret for Carla, but after realizing that she spoke candidly in Spanish in front of him, he took advantage of this to start doing extra things for Carla and finding out what she wants him to do but isn't telling him. When she finds out, she's confused and upset that he wouldn't tell her, but forgives him as soon as he apologizes and tells him how happy and excited she is that he learned Spanish. I have to say, very funny and weird that he didn't tell her, but I think it's so cute and indicative of Turk's character that he was using it to do things for her yeah. before she asked him. I know. that that's re- It's like... He saw that's this adorable. opportunity to to be um, a really good partner, even if it wasn't in the best way. But he was like, it's oh, like cheating I'm... at being a good partner. <laughs> I really want to be a better partner. <laughs> <laughs> I 
that is really sweet and i think it really speaks to him yeah as a person and it's sort of around this i think it's in this episode where uh elliot comes over and she's taking uh isabella for one of the first times like you know they're gonna be away from her for a whole weekend and we see this really adorable exchange between him and elliot where you know Carla goes to answer the phone, and he gives Elliot a secret list of things that he does for Isabella that he's not supposed to. Like, how if she cries at night, you're not supposed to, you know, snuggle her or give her attention for it. But, you know, if she lets out a peep, then Elliot had better crawl into the crib and be (laughs) there for her and snuggle her until she goes to sleep. And Elliot, you know, is very sweet and is like, oh, I'm not going to put her down until you claw her from me so that's not a worry yeah and then his other rule is like she's not allowed to have juice but you know if you smash up a bunch of berries and like drip it into her mouth it's kind (laughs) of the same thing and she really loves it and all just these little things that he he just give us a window into him being such a sweet and loving father yeah for the rest of the series the plot uh, focuses mainly on jd and his relationship with kim and their son sam Spoiler alert. But we see Turk and Carla as parents, and they're both incredibly loving and involved with their daughter, as previously mentioned. At the end of the series... Okay. I hate this, and I hate what I'm about to say, and I don't actually believe or accept it as canon. I think that this is lazy writing, Well, because the end of the series is not real. (laughs) (laughs) This is... It had been revived for a second time at this point. Right. This is fake. This is fan fiction. Yeah. At the end of the series, Carla gets pregnant for a second time, and we're led to believe that she decided to become a stay-at-home parent to her two daughters. But Carla is not in the last season, and Turk is only in a few episodes, so we don't know for sure, and we in fact don't even know their second daughter's name. This was just lazy writing. (laughs) That is so weird. I'm getting a call, and it just says political call. You know how it says, like, spam risk or something like that? political call what yeah. did you do i don't for, i don't know it's from bangor california i'm gonna hang up on them oh, oh never mind don't that. that's scary so weird they're kind of recruit you <laughs> no this is lazy writing it's not good it's not her character i mean we basically just said all the reasons why that is literally that wouldn't happen yeah <laughs> this is just like they were so focused on the new characters that and and you know maybe the actor actor didn't come back and they were too lazy to think of a really actually interesting reason (laughs) judy rays the actress who plays carla was actually the only uh one on the main cast that didn't return for any episodes of the final season so yeah it's just like disappointing because they could have come up with like an interesting reason because her her character was driven and smart and adventurous and there are so many things that she could have been doing that was not working in that hospital and they didn't want to put time into it exactly which is so disappointing because she's amazing yeah and that's scrubs i do think that they would have stayed married and i think they stayed together yeah yeah I see a lot of adorable Christmases from the t- between the Turks. And yeah. I see both of their daughters, like, growing up and being super incredibly empowered women who mm-hmm. are very 
connected to their Dominican roots and speak Spanish. Yeah. Because and both their parents that. speak Spanish. We know. Both of their parents speak Spanish and they probably speak it in the home. Yeah. And Turk, as we know, is very encouraging and supportive. Yeah. And values education. I love it. I love them. I think they're an amazing couple. I think they're so well-matched. I think we see them work through all of their issues with intent. And when they go to couples counseling, they actively engage. It takes them a second, but they counsel and they get through it. Also, just we see growth. Like, we see growth Mm -hmm. um, as partners in a relationship. We see growth in both of the characters, and that's what matters. Like, you know, we've all made mistakes in relationships and we've acted badly, but when you've grown and learned from that rather than just making it a habit, that's the difference between, you know, a relationship that's going to survive in the long term and a relationship that's not. And we love her and Carla. Yeah. Next week, we will be focusing on... I don't actually remember who we're focusing on. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> we're going to be visiting a certain precinct. Yeah, yes, we are. <laughs> um, and I, I found so many good articles that we're going to have to do this topic again. But I found one that is really interesting. So y'all are going to love it. Thanks for listening. Okay, love you. Bye.